Y'all, good morning. Uh, we are so glad you're here with us this morning, and uh, David and I are glad to be home. Uh, we love getting away, but, you know, I love from the Wizard of Oz and Dorothy. It's like there's no place like home. Some of you young people may not even know what that movie is, so... Um, uh, but anyway, y'all, this morning we have come to worship Jesus and turn our heart's affection towards him because he's worthy, he's good, he loves us, his kindness towards us is never ending. And this morning um, we're going to open up, we're going to have a song, and then after that we're going to ask, um, uh, we've got something we want to share this morning, and we'll do that kind of like as we get a little bit into the service. So would you stand with me if you're able and let's just worship Jesus. Yeah. Holy Spirit, would you come this morning and make Jesus the greatest revelation of our hearts this morning? His goodness, his mercy, his kindness. Thank you, Jesus, that you revealed to us who the Father was and what he was really like. You stood against everything that culture was presenting him to be in your day. And so, Lord, today we say that you are not only just a God of justice, we know that that's who you are. You are your throne, Lord. The foundation is justice and mercy. So, Lord, thank you that in Christ we get to live in the mercy of God. Lord, we get to live and have our being in the mercy of God. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, we worship you this morning. Our hearts adore you. And we just say, come and make yourself known in our midst this morning. Holy Spirit, have your way in us and through us and to love, be loved from heaven, to be loved with an eternal love that does not change, Lord. We worship you and we just make your name great this morning, King Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together, y'all.
going to stay on this song, you guys. I'm going to ask Gaylin to come during our prayer time this morning. She had a picture for us, and I think it's very fitting of where we are. And um, this song is very pertinent to the declaration of who God is for us. One of the things that I love listening and even hearing with this is that it's the praise to make a dead man walk again. And can I ask you, what would that look like? What would that look like for praise to erupt out of us and look like something that caused miracles to happen in this place because we were so expectant of who God is for us? So Gaylin's going to share this with us this morning. So Karen had played a song called House of Miracles. And while the song was going, I saw a really large sword, broad sword. I could see only the hands that were holding it. So I'm assuming it's angelic because it was large and so are the hands. But as the sword would just make a sweep, things were dropping. Things were falling. And it wasn't a long time. It wasn't, it was just sweep and healing happened. Emotions were healed. Hearts were healed. People got wisdom for what they're struggling with. And he would come along and it would just happen again. And each time things were being cut off that had been sticking around a little too long. So I just really believe that it's time to make it available and say, God, go ahead. One sweep. Let's get it done. Amen. So if you would stand to your feet, we're going to worship this with this song if you're able to and just believe and trust the Lord with that prophetic declaration that the things that have been just there for so long are cut away in the presence of the Lord this morning for you because that's who he is for us this morning so Lord we just come and we welcome the angels of heaven Lord to come and be ministering angels to the heirs of salvation this morning Lord, we worship you and we thank you because your word is so true, Lord, and we say yes to that in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship together. God, you're able.
So as we were singing this song, um, I know we're singing this to the Lord, but I heard him say, this is my heart towards you. And I feel like there may be someone here that just doesn't feel worthy to receive his love. And it's there for the taking. He loves us. He loves us. It's nothing we do. It is nothing we do. We are his children. And he loves us. I had a picture of just walking in my parents' house as an adult. And my dad making me a cup of coffee. And he's like, come here and just tell me how your week is. Nothing I said or did ever turned his love away from me. He was there to just listen. And that's our father. He, he, he's here for us. Y'all, we're just going to continue to worship. And this morning, I hope you have the revelation that the father loves you as much as he loves Jesus. Do you believe that this morning? When we believe that we have been lavishly loved by the father, our response is lavish love on him. And that's what we pour out to him. So we're going to do this song just for a couple more minutes and just open up and receive this amazing love of the father that he has for you. And um, because it's lavish, it's abundant. It's limitless, it's immeasurable, it's not withholding anything. That is the love of God that is in Christ Jesus for you and for me. So let's just worship.
as orphans, but you said, I will send my Holy Spirit. I will spend, I will send someone to be with you. Thank you that we get the privilege and the joy and the honor of the Holy Spirit of the Godhead to be with us and to breathe life and to move among us, Lord. We worship you and we thank you, Jesus. Thank you for revealing the Father's love to us that is found in you. Lord, we worship you. We lavish love on you this morning because we have first been lavished with a love that is unending. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that you delight to be with us. You delight to be with us, Lord. God, I just pray that every person in this room can just believe and declare over their lives, Lord, that you delight to be with me that you delight to be with them, but it's personal. You delight to be with me. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. We worship you this morning. Amen. We're so glad that you're with us. And um, if you are new with us and you're a guest, we would um, love for you to just go to DothanCF.com and click on the connection card. I'm new here, and we can give you a call through the week, get to know you a little bit, and you get to know a little bit about us. The passion of our heart is that we would experience the presence of the Holy Spirit and our lives would be transformed by encountering grace and the presence of His Holy Spirit because it's not just about having a bunch of head knowledge. It's also inclusive of experiencing this God who loves us so deeply. So um, thanks for being with us this morning. We have got our um, St. Andrew's Park this Saturday, August the 5th. All the details are on the website. You can let Travis and Marcy know if you're planning to go. 
And um, uh, what we are going to be doing next Sunday is because we are in our back to school and we are going to have a time of just praying over our kids during the service. So we just wanted to let you know about that as well because we want to bless our children. We want to have prophetic words and um, scriptures over them as they go into their school year. So um, you're welcome to come and be a part of that with us. And then also there's multiple ways to give in person in the box up front or online, which is what most people do. So we're going to dismiss our kids. We're going to let our youth be dismissed and let our kids go. And um, we love teaching and training our kids to hear the Holy Spirit, to love Jesus, and to know the Father and His goodness. And so we are just so thankful for all of you. We are extremely grateful for our team and our leadership team who just did an amazing job over the last couple of weeks so that we could have a little bit of rest. So we are grateful for them, and they did an amazing job. So you guys, we have a great team here. So uh, we'll be right back, and Pastor Dave will be here with his message. Good morning, everybody. How's everybody doing this morning? Wave if you're still awake. Wasn't that a good worship time? It was awesome. I love it. Um, I want to start a new series um, this morning called First Things First. And if you've been around for a while at DCF, um, you probably know where I'm going with this. Um, We talk about seeking the kingdom first all the time. Uh, But I want to kind of open up with a little bit of observation. Um, Anybody sense tension in our culture at all? Is it? I mean, it's super subtle. So I'm just (laughs) maybe a little bit. (laughs) So I'm just going to kind of talk about some observations I've had a little bit. Um, as I've kind of been reading and praying and thinking about this series. But uh, first of all, there's some real challenging challenges facing our world. Obviously, we kind of know that. Um, we've got all kinds of things going on uh, in our lives personally, but then you compound that with what's happening culturally, and you compound that with wars and rumors of wars, um, as the Bible talks about. Um, again, fear and concern over where everybody's headed. Uh, people are genuinely, genuinely worried, and that may be you as well. Uh, we're facing financial challenges, some not sure where their next paycheck is coming from or if there's going to be a future for your job or, you know, what you're doing. Uh, AI is going to take over and we're all going to be, you know, farming for uh, the term- Terminator. Is that what it was? <laughs> we're all going to go down that road. Um, fear of climate disasters affecting crops and supply chains, uh, potentially causing droughts and water shortages. Racial tension, uh, genuine racism coupled with race hustlers taking advantage of the tension in people for their own gain, sexual immorality running rampant, children being abused and taken advantage of by those in power, sold into slavery by the droves, factions in politics, domestic terrorism, fear of tyrants ruling and the people not being represented. Um, Any of these kind of hit home? (laughs) I'm sure there's a lot more that's going on. But here's the thing, I'm uh, actually not talking about us, I'm talking about the Middle East. And um, I'm actually not talking about now, I'm talking about 2,000 years ago in the time of Jesus. So every single thing that I just mentioned comes right from the, the scripture, from the gospels and from, from the letters in the New Testament. And so the point I'm making, obviously, is that the world is not more broken now than it was then. Like we always, you know, we do this thing about nostalgia. How many of you guys remember growing up and you, man, riding in, in the car with the windows down and you're like, oh, this is life. How many of you guys ride with the windows down now? Anybody? 
Yeah, you guys, why are you doing that? There's air conditioning in the car right now, right? Why would you do that? Especially in the South. I understand if you're up North. But, but my point is, so, so often we tend to create nostalgia. We, we look back and go, hey, times were better then. And the truth is, times weren't better then. Um, part of the challenge we have in the world we live in today is that it's just easy to see it, right? And, and we were never designed as a people to take on the pressure and the tension of the whole world. N- nobody was designed to do that except Jesus, right? But we, we do that, and, and it's forced upon us. The truth is, it's not really forced upon us. We just buy into the lie that it is forced upon us, so we, we don't feel like we have any option um, to do anything different. So we watch the news, and probably we shouldn't watch as much news as we do. N- number one, we found out real quick that you actually can't trust the news, so why are you watching it anyway? I'm like, they're, most of them are lying to you from one side or the other. It, it doesn't, p- you know, pick a side. It doesn't make any difference. Just live long enough and pay attention, and you'll find out. It's like, it looks like you guys have an agenda. Anybody notice that? I, I love it when people go, I don't have an agenda. I'm like, S- you so have an agenda and you're lying, <laughs> right? Like when you tell me you don't have an agenda, like this morning, I have an agenda. It's a good one, right? Um, it may not be perfect, but it's my intent, my heart's intent is it's a good agenda. So people have agendas. The, the news has an agenda. Ultimately, the Bible talks about that the love of money is, is the root of all evil. So there's a, a Latin phrase, quo bono, that means who benefits. And so Karen and I talk about this all the time. And you look, at, um, you look at something going on in the news and you're like, what? That makes no sense. Why are they doing that? That seems counterproductive and counterintuitive. And so I just say, well, let's just ask the question. Who's benefiting from this, right? And you begin to back it up and you find out at some point somebody's benefiting from this. Somebody's making money, right? Somebody has a profit motive or they want power, which turns into money and power. So, so the, whole, the whole challenge is, we, if we're not careful, we think today is worse than it's ever been. And so we, we have this mindset that things are just escalating and they're getting worse day by day. And in some senses they are, right? In, in, the, in the context of there's more people, right? There's 8 billion people on the planet now. And, and back in Jesus' day, there wasn't nearly that many. But, but the evil that was in, in people's hearts was, is, has been there from, from the, the garden, right? And so we all get that. So, so the world has an answer to that. They're like, you know, here's how you deal with the stress. Like, first of all, stress is one of the number one killers in, you know, in our health industry. And so how do you deal with stress? And so the, the popular media has all kinds of options, but a lot of it is just distraction. You know, if you just stick your head in the sand, everything will be okay. <laughs> right? I just won't think about it. So there's a famous song. Um, how many of you guys remember the song, Don't Worry, Be Happy? Anybody remember that song? Uh, it's, it's just so catchy, isn't it? Like, that's the way music works. It's got such a catchy tune, you start singing along with it, and before you know it, you're like, because I do this a lot. I don't know if you do this, but I sing songs from the 80s sometimes when they come on the radio, and I'm like, oh, yeah, and the nostalgia kicks in, you know, and I'm, uh, I'm riding in my Trans Am with my mullet. And the, you know, I mean, it's just, I didn't have one of those. I had the mullet, but I didn't have the Trans Am. But, but, but I start singing that, I'm like, what in the whole world? Like, I can't, I can't sing that as a Christian, <laughs> Right? But when I was 17, it was all the rage because the tune was there and the culture and I was caught up. But when I look back at it and start examining, I find out, hey, maybe this is not as biblical as it ought to be. Um, Don't worry, be happy is, I'm surprised, surprised, not biblical, in case you were wondering, right? So it's basically a philosophy of stick your head in the sand, Caesar fiddling while Rome burns. And so that's alluding to the legend that 
that a, a fire destroyed the city of Rome, the emperor Nero played his fiddle. And this is signifying his, his serious lack of care for the people or the city, right? It was just, just all about him. So the first part of don't worry, be happy is actually biblical. And we're going to get that in just a second. When, when, they, when he said don't worry, that's like a command, right? Don't do, you shouldn't do this. This is not the right way to do it. And so scripture, we're going to get into this in just a second, where Jesus said don't worry. But the second part about being happy is a little bit of a challenge because it makes the assumption that you can just be happy. You can just go, you know what? Life sucks, but hey, right? Be happy. It's the whole idea. Anybody go to Florida and you're sitting on the beach and everything is telling you, you know what? All your cares are back north, <laughs> right? There's not a care in the world. Meanwhile, you're, you're getting sunburned and, you know, I mean... And you're like, ah, oh, this is the life on the first day, the second day, and the pressure begins to come down. And at some point, the dread begins to build back up because now you got to go back to all the problems that you pretended you didn't have, right? But don't worry, be happy, right? That solves all your marriage problems, all your relationship problems, all your business problems, all your health issues. Just don't worry, be happy. So obviously, we know that that's not scriptural. The challenge in the Bible is that you, when God commands you to do something, the, the assumption sometimes we're not careful is, how in the world am I going to do that? And that's part of what we have to do as believers. Part of following Jesus is discovering the how, right? When Jesus said, come follow me, the assumption was, um, it's like the comedian who had the little three-year-old son. He said, every time I go anywhere, he said, he follows me a couple of paces back. And he said, and he literally asked me why all day long. So he said, so at some point I turned around and looked at him. He said, son, you don't know nothing, right? <laughs> and that's kind of the point of parenting, right, is your kid don't know nothing. So the whole idea behind this is as we follow Jesus, we don't know nothing. There's so many things that we're confused about, so many things that we've gotten wrong. And following after Jesus is, is learning the right way, learning what real relationships are about, learning my relationship with him, learning about what that means to me and how I have a relationship with people here on earth, right? So don't worry, be happy. The first part's biblical, the second part isn't. Because in, in the kingdom, God says don't worry, but he's gonna give you a way to not worry. He's not just gonna leave you hanging. So if you find yourself concerned, because we use all the euphemisms, right? Um, I'm just concerned, I'm not really worried. I'm just concerned. And, and when you do this, you're worried, okay? Let's just be honest. So there's a, a phrase, or a, sorry, a, a quote by uh, Yvonne Chouinard. He's the founder of Patagonia. Go look him up. Recently, in this last year, he gave his entire company, company away to a, a nonprofit to stop climate change. So that's a whole other sermon series. <laughs> so, but he, he basically built something from nothing. It was a three, three point something billion dollar company. He's still, after giving his company away, he's still personally worth $1.2 billion. So not a man to trifle with. He obviously knew what he was doing in some ways. But this is what he said. He said, there's no difference between a pessimist who says, oh, it's hopeless, so don't bother doing anything, and an optimist who says, don't bother doing anything, it's going to turn out fine anyway. Either way, nothing happens. So don't worry, be happy, is the optimist who does nothing. There's no action involved, right? The pessimist is, there's no sense in doing anything because look how bad the world is. So I don't know which side of that fence you find yourself on. We all are naturally one, you know, tend to be one direction or the other. But the point behind this, this quote is, regardless of whether you are an optimist or a pessimist, if you do nothing, nothing is going to change. 
So the prayer that the disciples, when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray. John's disciples, he taught them how to pray. Now, Jesus, would you teach us to pray? And he says, absolutely, here's how you pray. And one of the first things he said was, um, he, he honored God, of course, and then he gets to the part where he says, Lord, your will be done here. How? Just like it is in heaven. So, so the intention behind everything that Jesus was doing, everything he was teaching his disciples, the intention behind all of Scripture and all of history and everything that we study the Bible and that we build our lives into, all of that is about, it's supposed to look like something. It's not arbitrary. There's a way. That's why the Bible calls, you know, that's, that's what they were called as Christians. It was the way. There was a way to do things that other people didn't do. So it was challenging um, in the sense that Jesus said, I have an answer, but you're actually going to have to do something about it if you're going to see the answer. And we're going to get into that. Matthew chapter 6, um, Jesus pinpoints the answer about how you can not worry. When he commands you to don't worry, he's not just saying, don't worry, stick your head in the sand. He's not saying being an optimist, but do nothing, or be a pessimist, because nothing's going to change. He's not saying either one of those. He's saying the, the life of a believer is different, because you aren't destined for inaction. You aren't, like we talked about this, uh, another way of looking at it is like the difference between um, a thermostat and a, a thermometer. A thermometer just describes what's happening in the room, right? But a thermostat is prescribing. You, you push it to a certain level and you say, I want it to be this temperature in the room. And then there's work behind the scenes that makes it go to that temperature. And that's the difference between, between us and the world. The world can describe it all day long. They can prescribe it, but they're prescribing it from only a natural place where they don't have the actual power to change things, right? But God is saying not only can you describe it, and then you, you can actually, pre you can do something that changes the world around you personally. So it's like, you know, the, the old story about the, the guy on the beach after a hurricane, he's throwing starfish back, I'm sure you've heard this. And some guy up there, some pessimist up there, he's going, why are you doing that? He goes, look down the beach, there's, there's thousands and thousands of starfish. He goes, what does it matter? And the guy picks up one starfish and says, it matters to him, throws him back in the ocean. Right, so... So one guy can make a difference to one starfish, actually a lot. But imagine if everybody took the same attitude and got down there and started helping, right? That's what it means to be missional, is to, is to rescue and to seek and save the lost, is what Jesus said he was doing, and he calls us into it as well. So I want to read this passage, Matthew 6, 25, 34. I'm going to read the whole thing, and I'm going to come back and talk about it for a, for a minute. So Matthew 6, 25, it'll be up here, but you can follow along in your Bible. Um, Jesus said, therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Don't worry, <laughs> right? Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. We're going to get to that in just a second. It was very specific. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the, uh, at the birds of the air. So he's going to give you illustration, and he's going to make a point. Jesus was a great teacher, and that's what he did. Look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. We have hummingbirds at our house, um, and our heavenly Father feeds them through my wife. She gives them sugar water, and they show up and then battle it out. You know, it's, I, I like to watch because it's a war. Because hummingbirds, I don't know why they're super territorial. But I always think of this scripture. It's like, you know, God's 
we go to the grocery store. This is how God cares about these birds. He's sending us to Sam's Club to buy sugar, right? And then we come home and mix it. Well, she does. Then you see my point? So God takes care of the birds of the air, but they're not doing anything, seemingly. We're going to get to that. He says, are you not much more valuable than they are? So he said he's doing this for the birds. Aren't you more valuable than they are? Then he says, can any of you, can any of you by worrying add a single hour to your life? So he's talking about how ridiculous it is to worry, even though we do it. He says, and why do you worry about clothes? Like, you ever think about that? Like, they worried about clothes back then. It's like, didn't they all just wear dresses? I mean, like, wasn't that kind of the, like in Saudi Arabia, when I was over there during Desert Storm, the men wore dresses too. And it was like heavy wool a lot of times. All the way, and I'm like, that's got to, I live in Alabama and it's hot, right? So I'm looking at these guys, are you guys idiots? Put on, you know, the tank top the wife beater, whatever, and, and, and it turns out that in that kind of climate, it gets to 120, 130 degrees sometimes, right? Especially with the sand reflecting it back. And you have to do something different to stay cool, <laughs> right? So, so here are these guys worried about clothing, right? And Jesus said there's some practical aspects, but that's not what this was talking about. This was talking about what clothing represented, wearing purple, and, you know, and how that represents. So today's version of it would be name brand clothing right? Like, I, I'm a big stickler. Like, I like some of, the, some of the name brand clothing because some of it's quality. Not all of it is quality. Some of it just has a big name on it. But I refuse to advertise for free. Y'all know what I'm talking about? Like, running around with a shirt that says Tommy Hilfiger or whatever. I just refuse to do that. But the world, sometimes they go into that, and we're going to get into this in just a second, and what that means in terms of status. So he goes on, and he addresses that, and he says, uh, why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin, yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, it's a contrast, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? In other words, you keep trying to do it yourself, and that's the problem, right? You're trying to do it in your own strength. So he goes back, he says, uh, verse 31, So do not worry, there it is again, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. So if you find yourself chasing these things, and you're a believer, you have reverted back to being fleshly and carnal, right? The Bible talks about walking in the Spirit. If you do that, you won't fulfill the lust of the flesh. So walking in the Spirit, what he's saying is, as a believer, if you find yourself worrying You have regressed back to something, and you need to grow up again, come back into maturity, and go after this. So he challenges, he's like, you of little faith. That's a challenge, right? He goes goes on, but seek first his kingdom. This is where you begin to see um, how you stop worrying, right? So he's talked about worry and what we worry about and the reasons why we shouldn't. And now he's coming and saying, if you want the answer, the anecdote, antidote to worrying. This is the answer. Seek first his kingdom. Kingdom just means the king's domain. Where the king lives and where the king rules. Seek that. If you seek that, listen to what happens. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness in all these things. In other words, everything you've been worrying about, all these things will be given to you as well. So the short version of this sermon is, if you chase after those things, you may or may not get them. But what you won't get is the kingdom, right? 
So if you focus on the, that world, on the world, and the cares of this world, the Bible talks about, then you, you might get some of those, but you'll be disappointed all the time. So you won't always be happy. You'll be happy, and then you'll be sad. You'll be happy, and you're sad. But what you won't get is the kingdom. But if you flip that around and you seek the kingdom, not only do you get the kingdom, but you get all of that stuff for free. What the pagans are chasing after, giving their strength towards, you get it as a side effect of seeking the kingdom. So we're going to get into that. He says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. So in other words, if you can do this, if you can learn to seek the kingdom, he says, therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. Why? For tomorrow, tomorrow will worry about itself. What a beautiful phrase. Don't worry about t- tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about itself. Like one of the things I've learned is a good night's sleep cures a lot of things. Like all the heartache, and, you know, Karen and I have learned uh, we, we don't argue at 10 o'clock at night. We used to. We had some amazing arguments. We didn't solve anything, of course, because we're tired. And, right? But we don't argue at 10 o'clock in the evening. We just don't do that because it's, it's, it's a mistake. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Listen to this. Each day has enough trouble of its own. If you're a pessimist, that's terrible. <laughs> right? You're like, awesome. Tomorrow also has trouble. Right? So the picture Jesus is painting, here's again the short version. The picture Jesus is painting is, it's not like you're not going to have trouble. Another place he said, as a matter of fact, he said, do you think that, that you're not going to have trouble? He's like, do you th-? He goes, I came to bring a sword, actually. Like, if you serve me, when you serve me, you get a sword. And it's going to cut. It's a double-edged sword, so you have to be careful not to cut yourself with it, right? But it will cut. If you think, following Jesus, you're not going to offend somebody, you, you don't understand what it means to follow Jesus, right? Because you, if you follow Jesus, if you chase after him and you seek to make him happy, not only are you not going to make the world happy, there are going to be times when you aren't going to be happy, right? So if happiness is your aim, then um, you're going to get in trouble real, real quick because that's not biblical. Nothing wrong with happiness, but there's something deeper. The Bible talks about joy that comes from something on the inside. And this is the picture, in some ways, what Jesus is painting. You have all the externals that the pagans are, are seeking because they think the outside is going to change the inside, right? And here's how we think. You know, if I just had the right car, I just, some of you guys know I just bought a new truck and Dave Ramsey is turning over in his grave because I killed him with my actions of buying a new truck. And then he's, he's, he's going to call me from heaven and go, what, what were you thinking? And, and we did the math, and, and for the first time in history, I bought a new truck, and it was cheaper than a used truck. Now, if you don't think the world is confusing, let's talk about that over coffee sometime, because I'm like still blown away, the fact that a new truck costs less than a used truck. It's like, that's not economically feasible, except it just happened, <laughs> right? I did the math. My wife did the math. She's better at math than me, so I trusted her. It's, it's crazy, right? But I didn't, and I joke all the time, it's like, it's a four-wheel drive, and so I get to drive over things, and that makes me feel very manly, right? And I do it all the time. I'm like, that's a curb. It used to, it, it was a limitation, but now it's an invitation to adventure, and, and I just drive over the top of it. I try not to drive over people. I mean, I want to sometimes, but I'm just, I could, but I'm not going to. My point is, <laughs> is that buying the new car for me had nothing to do with what that new car was going to make me feel like. Because the new car smell is amazing until it isn't, and it goes away, and the, and the payment 
smells like something too, right? So you, you have to, you have, there's, there's challenges in both those arenas. But if you're, if you're seeking after things to make you feel a certain way, sometimes it'll happen. The first time you buy something really expensive, it's going to be a mixture of, oh, this is awesome, and oh my goodness, how much did I pay? Huh? You know, when we bought a house, we're like, what are we doing? Right? <laughs> but but so, so I'm not saying that buying things is, isn't helpful and that God is against us purchasing things or having things. He's not at all. God's never about, the, the, the problem isn't us having things. It's so often that things have us, right? And that's covetousness. The Bible speaks to that. It says don't covet your neighbor's you know, four-wheel drive. So if you guys are, don't do that, <laughs> right? Don't covet your neighbor's wife. Don't covet, don't covet, don't want something that somebody else has. Why? Because in the wanting, you think that if you get it, it's going to solve some internal issue inside of you. And I'm here to tell you it won't. And this is what Jesus is talking about. This whole parable is about the external versus the internal. Right? He's saying, here's what the pagans run after. Here's what lost, broken, hurting people in the world chase after. And if you chase after that, you might get some of it. But one, it's not going to make you happy like you think it is. And secondly, you're going to miss out on something that's far, far more valuable. So let's jump back to verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, don't worry about your life, right? So anytime you see a therefore, you need to find out what it's there for, right? It's just biblical help, right? So the verse above that, Jesus is having this conversation, and he says to the disciples, no one can serve two masters. So we're, this whole passage we're getting into is, is all predicated on the verses that come before it. That's context, and it's really helpful when you're studying the Bible to put that in. So Jesus says, nobody can serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. So he's making the contrast. You're not going to serve them equally. It's not going to happen. It's going to be an either-or situation. Then he says this, you cannot serve both God and money. So this passage begins with God is assuming, Jesus is assuming the disciples have chosen a master. Right? So he's telling them, I, I know you think and you've, this is the way you played before, that you can serve God and money. You can, have, you can have your cake and eat it too. Our first pastor, not our first pastor, but our pastor in Bible college, he had one life message, and it was a simple message. It was a picture of you have your hands on two, two bags. One bag is like bags of money. One bag is the world and all that it can offer you, and the other bag is the kingdom and all that it can offer you. And he, his life message was start letting this go and grab hold of this with both hands, Right? Because this doesn't really exist. And that's what Jesus, you cannot hold two bags of valuable things because they are, they are the antithesis of one another. So Jesus said, don't worry. And then he goes after this. He says, don't worry about your life, um, which is what you're eating or drinking, how you're going to sustain your physical body. You ever think about that? Like we so take it for granted that there's going to be food, Right? But, but it turns out that literally, if seed time and harvest in the world fails once, half the population dies within the first year. If, and this is scientifically proven. If, if seed time and harvest fail twice, everybody dies. Everybody. Not a human being will be alive if, if two seed times and harvest fail. And we take it for granted. We don't, you know, scientists can describe what's happening, but they can't, tell, they can't make it happen themselves. They can make it better, but they can't make it happen. So he said, don't worry about your life, what you're going to eat or drink. And he says, don't worry about your body, what you're going to wear. So he's talking about this, this physical sustenance of eating and drinking and, and how to take care of yourself in that way, health and all those things. 
But he also says, hey, don't worry about what clothes represent. Clothes represent sometimes a status. It's not just about I'm practical with what I'm wearing. I'm wearing something because I'm trying to fit in with my culture, whatever. And if you don't believe that's true, go to Saudi Arabia and wonder why all the men are wearing dresses in the middle of the desert. Right? It was a cultural thing. I'm like, okay, that's different. So here's the challenge. Verse 26, he starts into this description. He says, look at the birds of the air. They don't sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? So Jesus uses the birds of the air to illustrate freedom from, how can you be free from anxiety? How can you not worry, right? So Jesus uses these, these uh, birds, and what he's saying is they still co-labor, but God's prepared the way. So in Genesis, it says that God made the sky, and then he made the birds for the sky. See how that works? He created the environment, and then he put them in it. He made the waters, then he made the, and then he put the fish in it. He prepared a garden or a world that we're supposed to be a part of as human beings, and then he made a man and a woman to, to, to tend the garden and keep it. So if you understand that God comes first, and we're going to get into this, why it's called first things first, if you understand that, that God prepared things ahead of time, and there is a way that seems right to a man, the Bible says, but the end of it is death. And, and the, the challenge in that scripture is there is a way that seems right, but it's not right which is really contrasting the fact that there is a way that may not seem right, but it is right. And we're going to end in just a second and talk about that. So he prepares a garden, he prepares an environment. And then verse 27, can any one of you by worrying add a single, single hour to your life? So just practically, he says, why are you doing this? Is it helping? And you're like, no, but I'm still going to do it, <laughs> right? So you got to get to the root of you know better, but why are you doing it? This is where grace comes in. We've talked about this numerous times about coming boldly before the throne of grace for help in time of need, for, for help in, in mercy in time of need, right? You get what you need when you need it the most. It's almost as if God prepared something ahead of time so that it would be available to you. Isn't that what a good father will do? My dad, I love him to death. He drives me crazy, but I love him to death. But I, one of the things that Help me understand who he was, and I've shared this before. I got up one morning about 4 o'clock, 14 years old maybe. I was sick. I was headed to the bathroom. He's in the living room. He's putting fire. We had a wood stove, and he's putting fire uh, or wood in the stove for the fire. And I said, what are you doing? Just, you know, 4 o'clock in the morning conversation. Dad, what are you doing? Like, why are you up? And he said, he wasn't being mean. He said, why do you think it's warm when you get up for school? So I'm sick contemplating Huh, <laughs> right? Turns out this whole time I've been taking advantage of my dad. I'm like, I had no idea he was getting up at four o'clock. I just assumed it was always warm in the wintertime when people got up, right? And at some point I had a realization, this is what God's saying. He's like, can you, can you add anything to your life by worrying? Is it helping at all? And the answer is no. So let's go after why or how you can solve that problem. So he says, and then why do you worry about clothes? So he talked about food, right? And he says clothes. So he says, see how the flowers of the field grow. They don't labor or spin. The lilies of the field are illustrating freedom from the status seeking. In other words, the lilies of the field are beautiful, but they don't know they're beautiful. Anybody know that country music song? I'm like, she don't know she's beautiful, right? There's something beautiful about a person who's beautiful who doesn't know they're beautiful. And that's, kind of, and we kind of, and that's really what Jesus is saying here, right? And so he says, um, what he's really getting at is the problem with the outside is not really the outside problem. It's because there's a problem with the inside. Um, we have friends said all the time, beautiful people have beautiful problems. 
And I'm like, I don't have that problem. <laughs> so I don't know what they're talking about. But I can see it in culture. I see people who make so much money and they're not happy. Like one, I was reading a book recently. One guy said, at some point I was making $70,000 a month. And I was so unhappy. And I just wanted to reach into the pages of the book and slap him. Like, how can you not be happy at $70,000 a month? And I was like, huh, God, you might actually be talking to me in that whole scenario, right? Like, just round the numbers down <laughs> quite a bit, right? So it's like, well, how much does it take to make you happy? And the answer is, if, if the inside is not happy, the outside's never going to be happy anyway. So Jesus goes after that, right? Matthew 23, 25. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but the inside are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. This is what it means to believe the gospel, right? He's saying if you're, if you're being religious, you're doing the, out, the outward appearance things, it is really not helping the inside. So Jesus said the problem is the inside. The problem is the person's heart. The problem with politics is the heart. The problem with money and self-indulgence, the problem with all those things, the problem with broken relationships, the problem with bad leaders in churches and cities and nations isn't the politics, it's the heart, right? And so we, we kind of know this. Verse 29, um, so here's the thing. Externals can't make up for what's broken on the inside. Or another way to say this is you can't Gucci your poor self-image. <laughs> It's nothing worse than a poor person who ends up with a lot of money because it's not like you don't know they're poor, right? You know what I'm talking about? Because they buy stupid things. I just, they just do, right? So anyway, verse 29. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that's how God clothes the grass of the field. See, this contrast keeps coming back to, I'm showing you something here. If God cares about the birds and the lilies, do you think maybe he cares about you more? That's really the question. He says, which is here today, tomorrow I'm thrown in the fire. Will he not much, much more clothe you, you of little faith? There's that phrase again. You're not believing something that's true, right? Verse 31. So don't worry, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? He goes after this numerous places. So worry is three things. One, it's irreverent. It means if you're worrying, you are failing to recognize that God will sustain you. So it's sin. That's why Jesus said stop it, right? But he's going to empower you in how to stop it. So first, it's irreverent. Second, it's irrelevant. It doesn't change things, nor does it help in coping with the problems. And then third, it's irresponsible because it actually burns up psychic energy, mental energy. It burns up energy without actually solving the problem, right? So stop it. Verse 32, for the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them. So the pagans have no fundamental goals beyond material things, status and money. If you find yourself back there, you are, maybe you are a believer, but you are living like a pagan. There is no difference. If you can't tell the difference between you and your unsaved neighbor, you have some homework to do, right? So it's interesting, though, in that passage, listen to what it says again. For the pagans run after all these things, and your, your heavenly Father knows that you need them. Jesus is saying, first of, first of all, he didn't use the phrase God. He used the phrase heavenly father and he used the phrase or the word your. He just, what he did, he said, the problem is you don't know your dad. Now, why is that? I, I know for me, one of the challenges, I told you about my dad, he's amazing in so many ways. Anybody who ever meets him loves him to death. Um, but he, he, he 
had a challenge with his own father growing up, so he had limitations, and one of those was he was passive. And so I had to learn that passive is not the way God is in my life. And so my dad was a great dad in a million ways. I told you the story about him getting up and, and you know, and working to make my life better. And so I love him for that. He taught me the work ethic that, I mean, he literally, he's, he's almost 80 years old. And I'm pretty sure he can work me under the table right now. I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain of it. But, and, and it's caused part of the reason why he's, I think, lived such a long life and will. But whatever challenges those were, he's had to work through those, just like every father has to work through his own issues. But here's the danger. What was your father like? Because the design for fatherhood was to teach you not just about how to father your sons and your daughters, but it was also designed to teach you what your heavenly father is like. And if you find yourself worrying, there's a really good chance that your father didn't teach you about your heavenly father, which means you're going to have, one, learn how to forgive your dad. That's super helpful, right? Even if he's not here anymore, learn how to do that. But, but also grow and go, my dad was designed to represent my heavenly father in many ways he did, but in some very, very key ways, maybe he didn't. And if you're not careful, that will literally handicap you your entire life. So what's the answer to that? This is where it gets into Again, practicalities. This is verse 33. But, (laughs) right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So first things work. First things first. I've said this many times. God's thing, God's way, gets God's results. If you try to do God's thing your way, you will not get God's results. If you try to do your thing God's way, you're, one, you don't understand how things work, right? <laughs> because that, that's not possible. It's not possible because that puts you at the center of the universe. It puts you at the center of everything, and that's literally the problem. The problem is you were never designed to be the center of attention in some ways, but in other ways, you are. You are the apple of his eye. You are the desire of his heart. You are the reason why he created humanity is so he could be in relationship with you, knowing that sin would come and separate. Then also Jesus is willing to come to the earth, live as a man in perfect sinlessness, no sin ever, no matter how much he was tempted, and then laying his life down as an offering. Why? So that he could restore the relationship, not to a place, not so you could go to heaven. That's ridiculous, right? It's so that you could be in relationship again, that sin is out of the way because God is 100% perfect. Jesus paid for all of our sin so that sin could be moved away so that you and I could have relationship with the Father. But that relationship that you have with the Father has to be his version, not your own, not your denominations, not your cultures, not your whimsical thinking, not any of those things. It has to be based on truth. Not your truth or somebody else's truth because there's no such thing. There's only truth and your opinion. And if your opinion lines up with truth, you've found truth. If it doesn't, you can claim it's true all day long and it never will be. That is reality, right? And something the world doesn't understand. What's happening? The pagans are chasing after something and they're not finding. Not only are they not finding it, it's not solving their problems and making them happy. It's also keeping them 
from finding the kingdom. So here's the thing about the word seek. It's an action verb. Y'all remember learning this in, in school? There, there are some verbs about being, and there's some verbs about doing. And so the seek part, this is assuming Jesus, remember who he's talking to. He's not talking to lost people because he references lost people while he's talking to his disciples who are already following him, who are already coming after him, who've already acknowledged him, because, and we're going to get this in just a second, acknowledged him as the Messiah, as the Son of God. And, and here's the issue. None of what Jesus is saying can happen. If you want freedom from all those things and finding the, the, the fullness of what Jesus is saying, you can have the kingdom and all these things be added. If you want it all, the answer is not in don't worry, be happy. It's don't worry, seek something. You, you have to co-labor because here's, here's the thing. In, in each instance of the birds of the air and the, and the lilies of the field, the grass, all of this, there's co-laboring going on. Remember, the birds don't just sit in their nests and never go out and look for food, do they? Right? I mean, the babies do. Mamas bring it back and put it in their mouth. But at some point, they push them out of the nest and said, there's a part you have to do. So what's the part you have to do? This is what Jesus is saying. If you want to, to see the kingdom and his righteousness, if you seek after that, all the things the pagans are chasing after you get for free. Why? Why does God do it that way? There's a couple reasons. One is because he delights in us, right? Secondly, um, he, does it, he does it as an illustration to the world that there's something different in you. Why? Because he's trying to draw people into a relationship with him through you. The Bible says that we all have been reconciled so that we can become reconcilers. See, the, the being part leads to a doing part. When, when the Bible says don't worry, that's saying, hey, there's something that, you, that, that has to be true about you. If you don't want to worry, the only way you're not going to worry is to seek the kingdom, the king's domain, where the king has authority, right? Which means you don't play in the, in, in the devil's or the world's playhouse. You stay where, in, in the place God's given you. And then secondly, it says you seek his kingdom and his, and his righteousness. So what's his righteousness? I mean, I don't have to go into this, I don't think, at all, because we teach about it all the time, but maybe you're new and, and we haven't covered it. But his righteousness is who he is. He, he's not serving a higher purpose. Understand this about God's righteousness. Why? There's a difference between your righteousness and God's righteousness. God's righteousness isn't some higher purpose that he's serving, because there is nothing higher in purpose or any other way than God himself. So God in his righteousness is just acting accordingly to who he is. He is righteousness, not he performs righteous acts. See the difference? So if you're pursuing righteousness, you can pursue yours, right? Which is self-righteousness. Or you can pursue his righteousness. So if you're pursuing your own, you're like those Pharisees who are beautiful on the outside with the tassels and, you know, say the right words. Everybody looks at them, and they're like, oh, these guys are amazing. They pray such good prayers. But Jesus said, the problem with you is the inside of the cup's not clean. I know that. You know that. Anybody who builds any kind of real relationship with you knows that. So the only way religion works is you can never let people get close to you. See how that works? So even people who are trying to be religious you are so alone because you're trying to keep up a facade that tells the world that you are, it's clothing, it's spiritual clothing that's not real clothing at all. And Jesus is saying, I want to provide all that. I want to provide everything you need. 
not just in your physical needs, but even deeper. And this is what he's going at in this. If you chase after God's righteousness, all you're really doing is you're chasing after him. And you're recognizing, okay, I cannot obtain my own righteousness, so it has to become a gift. It has to be a gift, and I have to do something to get the gift. So I have to believe something. Now, here's a big challenge in the word believe. In the world we live in, belief is mental assent. But that is not what that word meant in Scripture. The word belief in Scripture means it's something you, you believe mental assent so much that you act upon that truth. Does that make sense? And so the challenge is if we don't go deep, we start living a facade and we're never ever truly honest with what's really going on inside of us. And part of that is we, we, we have so many broken relationships, we don't know who we can trust, even those who are leading us, you know, our, our people in authority have failed us. And so if we're not careful, we become an island unto ourselves, and then we die alone in the dark. <laughs> it's really sad. <laughs> don't do it. So how do you do that? And the answer is you have to come before the Lord. Listen to Isaiah 64, 6. We are all like an unclean thing. So Isaiah is saying, I have to admit where I really am, not where I wish I was. And all our righteousness are like filthy rags. Even the good things I do often have wrong purposes behind them, right? I'm seeking after food and water, but really it's an accusation against God that he won't take care of me. I'm, I'm seeking after status or money or wealth or whatever or people to like me, right? And, and because somewhere inside of me, my self-worth there's no value there, and I've not allowed God to tell me the truth about who I am to him and therefore who I can be to other people. So Jesus comes and he brings the great exchange. You can, have, you can keep all your sin and your self-righteousness, which is no righteousness at all, or you can exchange it in a gift. So I believe Jesus died on the cross for me. What does that do for me? Well, if I just mentally assent that Jesus did what he did, the Bible says the devil believes right? And trembles. So literally he has one up on the people who just have mental assent, but don't understand what that truth really means. So I remember the fear of God. When I realized how deeply sinful I really was, the fear of God came over me and, I, and the word woe came out of my mouth. And I don't think I'd ever said the word woe at, outside of a horse, you know, telling a horse to stop my entire life. Woe am I. Like, Isaiah and some of the prophets says, I am a man of unclean lips living within a, a, an unclean people. Please take the fire and put it to my, Lord, you have to do something because I've realized I can't do it for myself. The whole point of the law is to show you you cannot meet the criteria. And it causes you to fall in, cry out for mercy on the only one who can give it to you as a gift. So if you can understand that, now you're seeking God but you're seeking his righteousness, not your own. And when you do, what he does is everything that you have need of, he gives it to you. But if you try to pursue something to get it outside of the relationship with God, it's not going to happen. As a matter of fact, even if you get it, you don't really get it. So I want to close with um, Matthew, or sorry, Mark 8. It says, Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So the then is like therefore. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said this. 
The then is, is referring to what just happened, and this is what just happened. There's a conversation in, in verse 31 and 33 where the Bible says, He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders. And then think about this for a second. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. You ever been Peter? That you have the audacity to take God aside and rebuke him. And we all look at Peter, we watch him in The Chosen and go, yeah, what an idiot, right? You're the idiot too. You are also an idiot. I am an idiot because we have all done the same thing. God, I don't understand what you're doing right now. Translation, God, if I were you, this is how I would do it. And God's like, you know, that's really good counsel, Peter. Thank you. Right? But look at what Jesus said. <laughs> Peter took him aside and he began to rebe- I love that he began. Like Jesus like, don't give me that crap. I'm about to help you out, brother. Right? He says, <laughs> but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, get behind me, Satan. And here's why he said it. Okay? That was harsh. What's interesting is right before this, we know the story, Peter declares out of all the disciples, he gets it finally, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the one. He finally gets it, announces it, and Jesus said, Peter, that revelation, that's the rock on which, you know, everything is built. Oh, Peter, I love it. You know, you're part of us now, and he brings him, he draws him in to the kingdom in every way and, and makes him a part of the family and celebrates him, and like two scriptures later, right? Jesus says, I'm going to suffer, and this is what's going to happen, and it's the will of God. And Peter's like, no, that's not what I signed up with. Here's my version of what needs to happen. And so Jesus goes from celebrating the living daylights out of this guy to rebuking him and calling him Satan. Like, I get frustrated with pastoring, but I've never called you guys Satan. Come on, right? I've thought it. (laughs) No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) Get behind me, Satan. And this is why. Listen, he said, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. See, this is the gist of what God's going after with us as disciples. There's a growth process that's supposed to be happening in us. That when you are born again, you you become part of the family. That's what Peter did. Peter had this revelation of Jesus as the Messiah, and in one sense, it's a picture of him being born again, right? Not entirely, but you kind of get, you get the idea of it. And so he's now, his nature has changed. He's a new person. He has a new heart, right? And then what's the very next thing he does? He keeps living in the old patterns of his life. And Jesus said, that is not how this is supposed to work. You have in mind the concerns of this world, human reason, human nature, human life, your own passions, your own desires, your selfish ambitions, and you don't have in concern the things of God. So what is he really saying? He's saying on the outside, you're playing the game that God's in charge and you believe him. But on the inside, um, if you're not careful, you're just as dead as the Pharisees that he rebuked, right? So let me leave you with this. This is a, We've heard this before and I've taught it. Um, my friend Greg, he, he did a series called The Secrets of the Psalmist. 
And so this is going to go straight practical. And, and I, I, forgive me, I'm going a little bit long, but I think this is worth you taking away with this. And so take some notes if you want to. But there are three things that we need to do if we're going to walk the way Jesus called us to walk. First of all, it's okay to describe what happens. So we're going to describe, we're going to ascribe, and we're going to prescribe, right? This is what Jesus is trying to call us into. So think about, write about, say out loud the facts you're facing, your current circumstances. Your fears, your failures, your frustrations, your friends. <laughs> um, this, it also describes the action, words, and plans of those who have designs against you, the world, the system, people who betrayed you, whatever. And then even voicing your concerns about God. God, it feels like you have abandoned me. It feels like I've been going after this healing for years and I've seen nothing. That This thing you promised me has not come to pass, right? So you describe it. And when you read David's Psalms, he described it as harshly as anything you can imagine. So here's Psalm 31. Be merciful to me, Lord, for I am in distress. My eyes grow weak with sorrow, my soul and body with grief. My life is consumed by anguish and my years by groaning. My strength fails because of my affliction. My bones grow weak because of all my enemies. I am the utter contempt of my neighbors and an object of dread to my closest friends. Those who see me on the street flee from me. I am forgotten as though I were dead. I have become like broken pottery, for I hear many whispering terror on every side. They conspire against me and plot to take my life. David was having a very bad day. Have you ever had one of those? So it's okay to describe the scenario to God as if he doesn't know, right? So this is really not so God don't know if you see this. Maybe on the throne you, something happened, you were crying and you lost one of your contact lenses or you got distracted by how amazing the angels are and you're, you've totally missed what's happening to me, right? That's the danger of describing it. It is not for God to know what's going on. It's to help you process what's really happening. Nothing wrong with that. Then what do you do next? And this is important. You have to make a decision about what you're going to do with the circumstances. To ascribe means to give God the glory due his name. Declare what you know the scriptures say about him. Try to exaggerate his goodness or his greatness because you, you will never get it to the right level no matter how much you try. Talk about his nature. Declare who he is. Focus on his attributes, his works. Remember what he's done for you in the past, for those you know and those you've read about. Remember his words, what he said and promised in Scripture and prophetic words to you. That's ascribing to God. So listen to him ascribe, because he backs up and he actually starts that psalm with ascribing. But I trust in you, Lord. You are my God. My times are in your hands. Deliver me from the hands of my enemies, from those who pursue me. Let your face shine on your servants. Save me in your unfailing love. How abundant are the good things that you have stored up for those who fear you, that you bestow in the sight of all on those who take refuge in you, in the shelter of your presence, and hide them from all human intrigues. You keep them safe in your dwelling from accusing tongues. He ascribed to God what was true about God. Describe the circumstances. That's fine. But if you stop there, that becomes an accusation that God will not rescue you. And that is not faith at all. And that's an internal problem, not external circumstances. Understand that. Lastly, you prescribe, right? This is simple, and it's exactly what you think it is. 
It's a mixture of petitions, prayers, memories of previous encounters, storytelling, history lessons, declarations, and testimonies, talking about your desires, your hoped for outcomes, um, talking about those who oppose you, prayer for them, bless those who come against you, the Bible talks about, um, pronounce that evil will fail, that the crisis will dissipate, talk about God, Lord, this, as I prescribe this, Lord, let in the solution of these circumstances, let your glory be known for all to see. So think about this. Jesus goes to pray for somebody and they said, Lord, whose sin was it that he's blind? Is it his parents? Did they sin? And so he was born blind because of their sinfulness? Or it was his own sin? That's why he became blind. You remember what Jesus said? Neither. Now, he didn't, he didn't go into the brokenness and the fallen world and what people did in the, in the garden, what mankind did in the garden and walking away. He didn't go through all the litany of the entire Old Testament. He didn't need to. He's just answering the question, did they do it or did he do it? And he said, neither one of them. But what was this for? So when he's healed, everybody around will go, that's different. And God's glory comes through. So when you find yourself in circumstances, the external around you, the danger is you found yourself in some of those circumstances because of what you've done wrong. Because you've been seeking after something that God said, if you seek my kingdom and my righteousness, I'll give you as a gift. You've been chasing things like pagans chase things. You, you get caught up in Facebook and I want to be liked and I want to be thought well of. So you get caught up in the world. You get caught up in the news. Oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket and the handbasket's getting bigger. Whatever. You know what I'm talking about. You get caught up in it. But you need to catch yourself. And Jesus said, come away with me. I want to talk to you. A couple of things. One, is the world a bad place? Yes. But it's no different than it was in his day. And in his day, his answer to this wasn't, don't worry, be happy. Which maybe the title today would be, don't happy, be worry. Right? <laughs> Jesus turns that around. He says, if you, he says, the happiness is not even the issue at all. But here's the challenge. It's an, you're trying to solve an, uh, an external problem with an external solution. And the external problem can only be solved with an internal solution. So I want to challenge you this morning. Have you given in to your circumstances? Have you come, become so good at describing the external that you are not paying attention to the internal? Finding yourself angry with God, angry with people, and just angry, which is what we see in the world right now, all over the place. And it's leading to no margin. And I, I'll confess, I've been there too. And there's no margin. And I find myself yelling at my wife, who I love more than any of you guys. A lot more. Just saying, why am I yelling at her? And the answer is, I'm trying to solve an external problem without going to the internals. And so this morning, I want to challenge you. Describe all you want. Tell the truth about the situation. Don't stick your head in the sand. That's what the world does. But do something else. What am I going to do about the external situation? And, it, and the answer is, I will go deep in ascribing to God glory. I'll honor Him, and I'll prescribe the solution, and then I become part of the solution to the, not just my own problems in this world, but the problems of the world around me. I had lunch this week, and there was a little girl um, waiting the table, and I, uh, I asked her when she was bringing me the ticket, I said, do you have one minute? I know you're working, but do you have one minute? She said, sure. I said, I've been praying for you for months. And she said, what? And I said, yeah, I've been praying for you months. I said, and because I feel like the Lord wants me to say something to you, and every time I'm in here, I want to do it, and the Lord says, not yet, but today's your day. And she's, 
obviously intrigued, and I said, this is who the Lord says you are. And I, I had a word of knowledge that I felt like God could release about who she was, how the gift that she was, the world took advantage of, and sometimes she misunderstood, and how God had designed her and how she was a blessing. By the time we were done, she was, she was on the verge of tears, and it literally took me one minute. And I said, I want you to know that God's for you and not against me. And I said, I don't even know if you're a Christian. She said, oh, I am. She said, and everything you said is an answer to a prayer I've been praying for a very, very long time. And I walked away going, no way on earth I could have done that. I, I, all I did was say, Lord, that impression, I want you to do something about it. Don't care about the externals. Don't care what she thinks about me. Don't care. Just know that something inside of me, God has given me as a gift to give to this woman to show her who he is. So if you deal with that thing that's on the inside of you and you get whole there, whole people make whole people. Amen? So as we go on mission, if you don't sort out yourself, you're never going to be a help to the world. There is a way. Seek his kingdom. Seek his righteousness, not your own. And everything you have need of, he's going to give it to you. Would you stand? Jesus, we just submit our lives to you. Lord, we, we want to trust you. Lord, I remember a prayer. Somebody prayed, I want to want you. And Lord, I thought, that's a terrible prayer. And then I realized just how honest it was. And so, Lord, maybe there are some here this morning who want to want to trust you, but honestly, they don't. Lord, as they lean in and describe and ascribe and then prescribe, Lord, that you would begin to talk to them about who they are and their value to you like you did in this parable. God, that has to be a revelation from heaven. It has to be. But Lord, help us to encourage one another and speak to one another, Lord, in songs, in spiritual songs, in revelation from heaven to one another about who you say each one of us actually is. And so, Lord, for that, we say thank you. And Lord, do more of that because the internal, Lord, the pressure, the power, everything, the anointing that's on the inside of us from heaven to grow, Lord, to the, pushes back on the pressure on the outside. And so, Lord, it doesn't matter then what the circumstances are because the internal is greater than the external. So we pray for that and ask you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, guys. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. If you need prayer, our team will be up here. We'd love to pray for you.